Well, friends, we are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. We're learning about the policies of Jesus. And before I read scripture, I just wanted to remind you that we are in kingdom tide. We are renewing ourselves as the body of Christ, uh, learning who we are and um, reminding ourselves what Jesus called us to. And uh, we've been talking about the way that the, the kingdom of God uh, is a challenge to, an alternative to, uh, the kingdoms of this world, uh, including the one that we live in. And um, I almost thought about entitling this series um, uh, something like the Anarchist Cookbook or something like that, um, uh, but I didn't want to be in the back of an unmarked government vehicle, so I, I decided uh, we'd call it um, Jesus in an Election Year instead. But hopefully you can see the challenge. Jesus talks about the economy of the kingdom in his great teaching, the Sermon on the Plain. Um, then he talks about the foreign policy of the kingdom, which is love your enemies, um, not, not bomb those who oppose you, but um, actually seek to include them in the human community. And now we're learning about uh, this morning, what is the justice system look like in the kingdom of God? Um, so that's how do we treat those who hurt us inside the kingdom? Uh, what does the rule of law look like? So Democrats and Republicans who are believers in Jesus hear the word of the Lord uh, as we read uh, Luke 6, 37 to 42. Uh, let me see here if we can get that on the slides. No? All right. I'm just going to read it. Um, if you are at home uh, and it's not on your screen, go ahead and uh, look it up on the, on the internet. And if you're home uh, or if you're with us this morning, you guys can bring it up on your phone. This is Luke 37, 42. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will pour into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take the speck in your eye. When you yourself don't see that big log in your eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly uh, see to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The word of the Lord. Indeed, thanks be to God. Um, justice. Justice is something that... Uh, is at the heart of the national conversation right now in our own country. Um, is there a more relevant question for American society at this point um, than about what it means to do justice in the United States? I mean, um, every night we have clashes between law enforcement and people who are crying out for justice and some people who have gotten so frustrated that they have lashed out in their uh, passionate rage about the lack of justice in American society. And Jesus has something to say about these things. 
Jesus has something to say, not just about our own personal morality, but about what a society should look like. And that's what his teaching is all about. Um, what, is, what is life in the kingdom of God supposed to be? And of course, for the world, this is good news. For God's people, this is not just good news, but it's our mission in the world to embody this way of, uh, of living under the lordship of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to answer two questions. I want to so, see how Jesus answers these two questions about the justice system. What is the point of justice in a society? And then what is the process by which justice gets done in a society? Those are big picture questions, so I'm, I'm not sort of giving a detailed policy plan as to how exactly we should, we should uh, enact a justice system, but these are crucial, crucial big picture points about what justice is that deeply challenge the way the state thinks about justice, okay? So I want us to hear it, and I want us to see the contrast, and so that 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 bears reminding you again that this uh, teaching of Jesus is not just about a private spirituality. This is not just aimed at making upstanding, morally satisfied individuals. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about establishing a political body on earth of disciples who reflect the goodness of God in order to show the rest of the world and to beg the rest of the world uh, to come into the goodness of what it means to be reconciled to God and their neighbor through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what this teaching is. So how should Christians think about law enforcement, crime and punishment? You know, these are the questions I want you to have in the back of your mind. The justice system is there to, uh, not to deal with enemies, but to deal with disputes among citizens, among people who have broken trust with each other. And that falls into the category of broken contracts and civil law, and it falls into the category of broken uh, trust in criminal law, when we actually inflict harm on one another, how do we think of justice and how is justice done? That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. What's the point of the justice system and what is the process of it? Um, so before we dive in, um, it, it also bears saying that um, we do have a background kind of assumption about what the justice system is. And this is reflected in all of our popular media and our, and I think, common ways of thinking about it. And I want you to see how Jesus uh, is not someone who's going to, we're going to bring into the American justice system and say, what do we do with this? Instead, Jesus is going to provide an alternative, something that challenges these assumptions. And the baseline assumption that I think uh, we've had drilled into us in our religious circles as well as in our, um, the wider culture, is that the whole point of a justice system is about the law. The individual stands before the law, which is an inflexible body of codes, and an individual is brought before the law, this impersonal sort of system, and they stand there alone, and the law then either vindicates the innocent and acquits them, or punishes the guilty. And so this teaching, you can already see, um, is all about forgiveness. And we tend to think about forgiveness as something 
completely on the opposite side of justice. You know, this sounds like it's talking about mercy, not justice. Um, so I think most followers of Jesus, particularly evangelical followers of Jesus, uh, tend to think the role of the state is to punish evil, the, it's to deal with bodies, to punish wrongdoing in the bodies of people, and the role of the church is to come along and offer mercy for the souls of people. See, see how that works? So they can advocate for a harsh justice that punishes wrongdoing. At the same time, they advocate for a mercy that offers spiritual salvation. And hopefully you'll see by now that that uh, way of separating bodies and souls runs right through every political compromise of followers of Jesus um, in following his teaching. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I've been hoping to show you. Um, the point of justice, Jesus says in 37 and 38, um, is actually mercy. I want to show you how that's so. Um, when he preaches the kingdom, his assumptions of justice do not, and I, I'll say it you know, as starkly as I can, the Bible does not oppose justice and mercy like we do. It doesn't. That's just not how it works. And the words that Jesus uses in this passage that we want to make all about individuals just sort of in their interpersonal relationships uh, uh, showing, showing mercy to one another, Jesus wants to show that this is actually... Uh, more like a courtroom context because of the words he uses. He uses the word, he talks about judgment. That's a legal word, crino. He talks about condemnation. That's from the same root word as the word justice, righteousness. It's kata, which means against, dika, or dikaio, which means justice. Condemnation is to show what is against justice. These are legal words designed to help arbitrate legal disputes in a political community. And listen, that's how Paul understood this teaching. Um, you can see it in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says, when any of you have a grievance against each other, again, a legal word, grievance, do you dare take it to court before the unrighteous instead of taking it before saints? Do you not know that saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels to say nothing of ordinary matters? If you, had, if you have ordinary cases then, that you, then do you appoint judges as those who have no standing in the church? Remember what Jesus says here? You, you're not above your teacher. Those... Uh, those who he says are supposed to arbitrate justice are supposed to be like the teacher. He says, do you have no one like the teacher? No one who has standing in the church? I say, to, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to decide between believer and believer, but a believer goes to court against a believer and before unbelievers at that? In fact, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? 
Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud and believers at that? Okay. All of that to say, um, this teaching about Jesus, about forgiveness, is a teaching about how in the kingdom of God we settle these criminal and civil disputes among one another. And, um, and if you look at the language he uses, he, he does this doubling thing. He, he says, don't judge and don't condemn. Those are meant to be read together. So when he says, don't judge, you just heard Paul say it. He doesn't mean never have any judgments, never be able to call out what's wrong. That's not what he says. Um, what, he's, what he's doing is saying, don't judge so as to condemn. Don't judge with the purpose of condemning. And then, and then he, he does this other doubling thing with forgiving and giving. He says, to forgive someone their sin is to bring them back into the community of giving. Remember we talked about the economy of the kingdom, how it is um, under, the, under the principles of jubilee, the, the people who live inside the, the kingdom of God are those who share the abundance of the community so that we share with one another our own abundance, so that there's no poor among us. And he says, forgiving your brother is to invite them back into this circle of giving inside of the community. So forgiveness and giving go together as restoring a person to all the goodness of the community and judging and condemning go together. This kind of uh, judging so as to exclude a person from the community. You see what he's doing? So what Jesus is saying, the purpose, the point of justice is, justice seeks to restore the erring, sinning person to the community. That's the point of justice. It's the point of justice throughout the Old Testament. The relational network of interdependence among God's people, God's children, that that balance of, of sharing our gifts, of receiving what we need from each other, of, of uh, living in this kind of harmony with each other, that's what righteousness is all about. This faithfulness to both God and to our neighbor that creates a circle of peace in which this abundance can continue to flow in an overwhelmingly good creation. That's righteousness. That's righteousness. Um, it's relational, see. And so when God says he's righteous, his righteousness, same word as justice, is his right making. His ability to set things right, to set people right, to set people back with one another in this circle of, of giving and forgiving. Um, that's, that's what his justice is. And see, this, this is... <laughs> This is why when we read the Old Testament, and it sounds so arbitrary, all of these bizarre laws, right, about shellfish, about uh, animals with split hooves and garments that are mixed. And, um, and what you have to understand is that the entirety of the Bible, of the Old Testament, is all about God teaching his people. Again, can we just, as a reminder, who are God's people? right now. You, you, us, we. Um, 
The whole point of the Bible is to teach God's people what it is to live inside shalom, to live inside the peace of creation. And so all these laws that sound so weird are object lessons for the people of God to learn what it means to live in harmony. Um, Cornelius Planiga, um, who has the unfortunate first name Cornelius, um, uh, I think he got, he got beat up a lot uh, in school. Um, Cornelius mm -hmm, uh, uh, wrote this incredible book called uh, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. If you're interested in learning about what, what makes something sin and not sin, is it just God rolling dice to be like, let's make that sin? That's, this book does a great job of explaining what, how s the logic of sin works in the Bible. And, um, and even the weirdest laws in the Old Testament were about the breaking of shalom. That's, that's what they were all about illustrating. Um, the, it, he says, the, so for example, laws about pollution, garments you're not supposed to wear together, um, you know, things that you're not supposed to touch, like dead bodies, he says the image of pollution suggests bringing together what should, what should be harmoniously kept apart. So he says to, to pollute soil or air or water is to blend them into foreign materials, machine oil, for example, so that these natural resources no longer nourish or delight. Similarly, the introduction of like a third lover into a marriage or an idol into the natural relation between God is to introduce a foreign agent that corrupts these relationships. So the, the object lesson of mixing garments is to say certain things in order to have harmony are, need to be apart, like, like a screwdriver in your skull. Shalom would mean that those, those don't come together, right? Um, Certain things for harmony are set apart, just like in the creation. God says it's good for the land and the water to be apart, right? So see, shalom is this peace, this balance, this righteousness that's built into the creation, and God's people are supposed to uphold it. Injustice is peace-breaking. Very simple definition. Injustice is peace-breaking between people and, and between God. It's that which breaks the peace. Justice is that which restores the peace. Okay, are you guys tracking? Okay, so let me then ask you this. If that's what justice is, is forgiveness the opposite of justice? What does forgiveness do? It restores the peace. It brings people back into the community. It brings God's people back to God as he lavishes forgiveness on them. It brings us back together as the relationships which are broken are made right with one another. Forgiveness accomplishes the justice of God. So justice isn't just about... Um, Punishing the guilty. You know, listen, for that punishment or consequences can be part of restoring. They will inevitably be part of restoring the person to the community. But do you see the difference between saying the point of justice is to punish the guilty and the point of justice is to restore the guilty to the community? Do you see the difference? 
We live in a fantasy in the country right now where when a person breaks the peace, we think we can shuffle them out of the human community into a warehouse somewhere where they can be separate from the community so that we can go on living our peaceful lives as though that brings peace. Let me ask you, has our justice system brought peace to the United States? No, it's a childish fantasy that you can lock away all the bad people from all the good people and then preserve justice that way. There has to be restoration. There has to be restoration. And here is why. Here is exactly why. Because the shalom of God, the peace of God in the world, is the intent of God's creation of all human beings. And you cannot have peace when you know there are human beings that are alienated from the human community. We have it together or we don't have it at all. Are you guys tracking? We have it together or we don't have it at all. Um, so Jesus says, in the community of God, we don't judge so as to condemn. We can't, salt, we can't see the shalom of God, the peace of God come apart from people being restored to the human community, brought back in. And to that, the hard work of that restoration is the hard work of justice is the hard work of forgiveness. The Russian Orthodox have a word for the unity of all people that means that what happens to you also happens to me. Um, the word is sobernost. And it's one of my favorite things about Russian literature. Um, uh, Russian Orthodoxy uh, is, of course, the, you know, there's Protestants, Catholics, and Orthodoxy. And those last two keep up the fashion standards for the church. Um, uh, so, the, you know, the, the wizard-like robes are in those last two. Um, and uh, Russian Orthodoxy uh, sets the culture of so much of, um, of Russian literature. Um, Dostoevsky is saturated in Russian Orthodoxy. And um, in the Brothers Karamazov, uh, the most brilliant novel in the history of humankind, um, there's a beautiful woman. Her name is Grushenka. And she um, is shown to be pretty terrible <laughs> through the book, pretty self-centered, um, kind of vindictive sometimes. And in, at some point in the book, it's revealed that the reason she is this way is because of a deep wrong done to her um, that separated her from a lover of hers, a soldier. And she's been bitter about it her whole life. And she's been going through men like, like tissue paper, um, using and disposing because of some of that. Um, and so she thinks of herself often as never having done anything good in her whole life. Um, but the main, one of the, the main characters of the book, Alyosha, who is a lot like Jesus in this book, um, begins to show her that actually there is goodness in her, that she is a beloved child of God, too. And, um, and another priest uh, was accusing her. Well, Alyosha is studying for the priesthood, and his duplicitous um, moron of a friend is uh, laying into Grushenka about how evil she is. And under that pressure um, of him saying, you've never done anything good your whole life, she screams, I've shared my onion. Um, 
And of course, you're, the response is supposed to be the one you just had just now, which is like, what the hell does that mean? Um, uh, and um, she, so she tells this story that, she, that her cook used to tell her as a child. Once upon a time, there was a peasant woman, and a very wicked woman she was. And she died, and she didn't, have a single, she didn't leave a single good deed behind. Nothing good she'd done. The devils caught her and plunged her into the lake of fire. So her guardian angel stood and wondered what good deed of hers he could remember to tell God. If he could just think of one good thing to show there was goodness in this person that he could tell God, maybe he could deliver her from the fires of hell. So, uh, um, so he remembered, oh, that's right. Once she pulled up an onion in her garden and, he, and she gave it to this beggar woman. And so he went and told God, and God said, okay, go take that onion, hold it out over her in the lake, and let her reach out and take hold of that onion, and you pull her out of the lake of fire by that onion. And if that onion breaks, then that woman will stay where she is. So the angel, excited, ran to the woman and held out the onion to her and said, Come, catch hold, I'll pull you out. And he began cautiously, slowly pulling her out as she clutched onto this onion, her one good deed. And he had almost pulled her right out of the lake when all the other sinners in the lake next to her saw her being lifted out and jumped to grab onto her ankles that the angel, by, his, by the mercy of this woman, might pull all of them out. But she was a very wicked woman. So she began kicking at them. I'm to be pulled out, not you. It's my onion, not yours. And as soon as she said that, the onion broke, and the woman fell, and there she is to this day, and the angel wept and went away. This is a, a profound parable, and it's why I love Russian literature, because it sounds a lot like the Bible. Um, well, what was he saying there? He's saying, look, the whole point of that good deed wasn't to rack up points in heaven, that they're big enough, you scored high enough, that God now says, oh, cool, you, you've, you've, you're perfect, so I'm going to pull you out. That's not what good deeds are about. Good deeds are about aligning yourself with God and your neighbor. The solidarity that says, what happens to you happens to me. And the whole point of that story is, if this was truly a righteous deed, then she would have wanted for every person in hell to have clung onto her to be pulled out together with her. That's not what she wanted. And this is what Jesus is trying to say about justice. The point of justice, friends, is to restore all humankind back to one another and back to God. And that's why he says, mercy forgives the law. And that forgiveness, this forgiveness, is God's justice. Now, quickly, what does that look like in a people? What does that look like? What does that kind of justice look like um, with the process of it? 
Well, Jesus says some wisdom about it in his own parable that he gave, and I think it's pretty crystal clear. Um, the process of justice in a community is, is a lot of things. Um, I think it's arduous, it's painful, but there's two things it's definitely not, and I hope you can see the contrast between the kingdom of God and the world right now. Um, it's definitely not blind, um, and it's definitely not um, impartial. I mean, do you know what it, so how do we symbolize justice? Do you guys, are you seeing the contrast? How do we symbolize justice in our city? Like, think about a courthouse. What, what does justice look like? It's from the, the god uh, Eustitia, which is justice. Um, she was depicted from ancient days holding a sword. What's in her, what's in her other hand? Scales. She holds scales in one hand as if to balance the case of the individual against an impersonal law. She holds a sword ready to judge. And what's over her eyes? A blindfold. That didn't come in until the 16th century when uh, people started thinking, well, in order for justice to be done, it has to be totally, and to be totally impartial and objective, she has to be totally blind to the individual. But look what Jesus says. He says, justice isn't about a sword. It's about restoring a person to the human community. Justice isn't impersonal balance on the scales. In fact, justice is about the relationship between an individual and God and their neighbor. And justice is not blind. What, how, how do the blind lead the blind, he says? Into a ditch. In fact, justice sees the individual in all the extenuating circumstances... And, and it evaluates the individual and the relationship to the community with, he says, like your master does, with the kind of wisdom that Jesus had when he stood next to the woman at the well and told her her entire story. What is the process of justice like? Well, whatever it's like, it takes into account both the wrong done and the impact and the ripples of the wrong done to the victim as well as all of the circumstances and the story of the perpetrator. It takes all, it gathers all of those things into account in order to help see forgiveness realized and restoration take place. It does both of those things. Um, and I just think it's amazing that our, our depiction of justice is, is literally the opposite of what Jesus is painting here. And, by, and just as a, a little side note, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, if, if that's what justice is like, justice is to take drug dealers and restore them to the families of people destroyed by drugs. Justice is supposed to take murderers and restore them to the families of the, the lives they've shattered. Justice is supposed to take people who've stolen the pensions of in devastating sort of white crime, I won't call it white collar because really, what it really means is white crime. Um, people who are, who tend to be um, more well off and white, their judgment is easier and it's usually harmless crimes like destroying the financial lives of thousands of people. Um, how do you restore, well you restore them to the workers they've exploited. You restore them to the, you see what I'm saying? I, I was thinking, well how, how much money would it cost to have a just system that actually tried to arbitrate, mediate, reconcile, 
broken parties together rather than one that simply throws people impersonally as though one is just the same as the other into a cell somewhere, locks the key and forgets about it. But then I read about how much our current justice system costs. How many billions of dollars are being spent in this infantile fantasy that people who do wrong can then just be cleaved away from the human community without it coming back to destroy those left on the other side of it. And then I was like, well, why would we spend billions of dollars that way instead of this way? And then it became clear, because billions of dollars are being made on the system we currently have. Okay, that's, that's a bit of a side note, but um, read a book called um, Rethinking Mass Incarceration by one of the people in our own denomination, his name is Dominique Gilliard, and you'll see um, how the theology of what we're talking about might be lived out um, if we preached it like the gospel, like Jesus forgives sin, and that means he really forgives sinners, and that means he brings real reconciliation to real people. Like, that would be good news um, that we should be preaching. But for now, I just want to mention one of the processes that Jesus does teach about in another passage about how this is done, and it illustrates this parable about how we have to take the log out of our own eye in order to restore this, to take the speck out of other people's eye. We have to have, there's two principles really I want you to see with these two parables. One of them with the, the, the blind leading the blind, that parable is to say, look, the community has to look at each individual and say, this person dealing drugs because they're trying to survive in an environment where there's no other opportunity is different than this person dealing drugs because even though they have the wide opportunity, the fields open before them um, for different reasons, we have to take different cases into account as to why and think about what is needed, not just for the victims, but for the individual perpetrators too. So we have to see the whole person. We have to know the story. But secondly, um, and this is what I want to focus on with the log and the speck, the community of God, those that Paul says, why is there no one wise enough to help us learn to reconcile human beings, which is the mission of this church, just like all churches. Regardless of what our justice system is in the world, our mission is to see broken peace and bring reconciliation, just like Jesus brought on our behalf. Um, how do we do that? Well, the community's role in the offense is uh, key to that. Matthew depicts uh, what that process looks like in, in, in chapter 18, and I love how we call this church discipline because it shows how fixated on punishment we are, just culturally. This is not about punishment. Jesus says, look, if there's a, a peace-breaking act between two people in the community, they need to come together and to talk about it. The person being wrong needs to say, this is what happened and this is how it affected me. The person hearing it needs to say, uh, that's profoundly screwed up and here's what was going on with me and I'm sorry. And if they can come together, you've won your brother. 
But if that doesn't work, take another person, not as intimidation, not like as a bouncer to stand by and be like, you telling the truth, bro? <laughs> that's, that's how I've experienced it in church. No, to come into it in order to say, hey, man, listen to what he's saying. He's, there's brokenness here, too. And listen to what, to bring reconciliation. And he says, if that doesn't work, listen, th this is about the whole community. There is no peace in the community if there's no peace between you. There is no peace in the community if you two are not at peace. So this is, this affects all of us. That's why I love the concepts of Zobernost. There's no such thing as a conflict between two people that's none of my business in the community of God. And there are different levels of reconciliation. There's Paul and Barnabas who say, hey, let's agree to disagree. And then there's Zacchaeus in this, in this gospel who immediately, upon saying, oh my God, I've wronged this entire community by t exploiting them and taking money from them. So I'm going to give it, not just restore it to the people I've stolen to, but I'm going to invest half of my wealth into this community because the ripple effects of my, of my exploitation has affected all the poor in this community. So I'm going to give half my wealth to restore, to restore them. So that, that's an instant process with Zacchaeus. It's profound, amazing, instant. Jesus showed forgiveness, and he then immediately sought to, to be reconciled to this community. For some people, it took longer, you know. But the whole point is that the community was involved, and the cost was not cheap. And every member of that community had a stake in whether these people could be together again or not. I mean, I just want to ask you, not as a kind of judgment, okay, but is that, is that church? Is that, our, is that bread and wine? That's what I want you to think about. Um, there's a justice, our mission is to show the justice of the kingdom by virtue of the forgiveness we've been shown and the reconciliation that's been brought about. And that's not a theory. It's a, now I, am, I have an, a relationship where my heart is open to God and God receives me. My heart is open to you and you receive me and vice versa. And that's a, a salvation is experienced by my body and my soul in this community. And then we in the wider community want to see that reconciliation brought between wherever there is injustice. So watching people stand across a line of cops saying F the police. Watching people who mourn at generations of incarcerated parents, usually black and brown people. There's, there's, a, there's a deep divide in this world that's racial, that's economic, that's, it's profound. And the body of Christ is supposed to stand in the gap of these injustices to see reconciliation, to see people come together and... When Jesus said, here's the words that stung me in this passage, okay? Um, no disciple is above his master. You can't do this. 
You can't fulfill the mission of God in the world to bring this reconciliation if this is not what our church is like. If we can have against one another things that divide us from each other and no one notice and the community walking around with a log in its eye, I mean, this is the log in the eye that he's talking about. It's not just... This is the, the community's sin that says we claim to be reconciled to God. We claim to be uh, spirit-filled members of a new community on earth. And yet we can allow to exist among our community people deeply divided from each other. Black and white people, you know, um, people who've committed crimes against one another. And again, our work isn't to naively jam people together so that abusers can continue to abuse. But our work is to see at some level healing, restoration, and reconciliation no longer how long, no, no matter how long that takes. That's the point. So as we go to communion, brothers and sisters, I just, I have to ask, um, I have to ask conservative brothers and sisters, um, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think being soft on crime is, both inside and outside the community? I mean, um, is, a, is somebody who commits crimes, even heinous crimes, beyond redemption, beyond restoration? To say yes is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. To say that on, in, this, in this life, we can just wad them up and throw them away is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ and is to deny the mission of the church. And, and to be blind to the impact of race, to be blind to the, to the stories of individuals whose stories are different by virtue of what their communities have experienced is to deny the justice of Jesus Christ. And I want to say to liberal, progressive followers of Jesus, um, is it possible in Christ to cancel anybody? Is it, is it, is it Christianity, is it to be a follower of Jesus, to say Nazis have no other purpose besides punching and disposing? To think that law enforcement are to call them pigs, um, to rage indiscriminately against people in uniform instead of seeing precious children, men and women made in the image of God, no matter, no matter what wrong they've done. Is any desire to exclude from the human community, can it ever come from a heart of justice? No. No. The righteousness of God is his peacemaking love. And so let, let's just summarize it as we go to communion. The cross is the justice of God. The mercy of the forgiveness, 
the, the desire to see all people restored to goodness, to come back into the circle of shalom where you receive all the material and all the spiritual blessings of rightness with the human community is the salvation of God. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That is justice. That is the only way Christians are allowed to think about justice. And anything other than that vision is something, is our mortal enemy. As, as the kingdom of God. So Aram's going to come up here and, and lead us in communion as we eat that truth and drink it. Now listen, what is the one reason you should not take communion? Do you know from 1 Corinthians? Right now, anyone under, having the misfortune of being under my voice, um, Who in the community of God's people do you right now live with a kind of um, foregone, hopeless sense that there will never be reconciliation? Where in your own heart is Anger, trauma, grief, despair, separating your desire for the restoration of another precious child of God who has hurt you, destroyed you, maybe. Listen. Receive the mercy of Jesus. Receive, don't, don't fail to come to communion because you're struggling to show the forgiveness you've been shown. Come receive mercy in the process of holding on to the onion. But if you are kicking and scraping your enemies off your feet in God's desire to see them restored, please don't take communion. Until, again, for you, the gospel, the reality of your, your reconciliation with God is real enough to long for the restoration of other human beings. Um, Let's pray, and, and we'll go to communion. Oh, God, hard, hard truths. God, I think about all the ways your people stand alongside the people of this world crying out for justice, and I wonder, Father, how many of us are willing to do the actual hard work of justice in our own communities. God, I think about all the ways that we need justice in this world and yet how the power for it, it comes by the Spirit through hearts reconciled to you in communities fighting for this justice that is mercy. Father, I pray for the hearts of those right now who struggle, who struggle because of the pain of the sins committed against them. 
I pray for healing, God, in their own hearts for the damage that prevents them from seeing their oppressors as human beings. And God, I thank you for the long tradition of those oppressed people in our own country, Native Americans, black folks, the long tradition of followers of Jesus who've suffered such deep oppression and taught us what it means to never let it steal love, to never let it steal the desire for reconciliation, to never let it sever us from the humanity of our oppressors. And God, I pray for that wisdom now for those who have hurt us inside the body. And I pray for the logs in the eyes of all the churches in Portland, in our church, who try to take the speck from the eyes of other people without seeing their own communities as apathetic, as standing back and allowing discord to rage through their own congregations without doing everything possible to lay their bodies down between oppressed and oppressor to bring reconciliation. Make us peacemakers, God. Because of how we've experienced your peace in Jesus, we beg you, bring your justice among us that others might see it and know that this is the fate of the world, not the chaos we see reigning. In your name we pray. Uh, amen.